Today's gospel lesson is all about following Jesus. For me, following Jesus is multi-dimensional. It's not just walking and following Him. It's my mouth, it's my thoughts, it's every single action. It's multi-dimensional. Okay? When He called Philip, Philip came not just with His feet, but he came with his entire body, his whole person. He surrendered everything to follow Jesus. And that's what discipleship is. That's surrendering everything that we are. That's our homes, our marriages, our relationships, everything under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that is our ultimate goal, individually and collectively as a church, that we would follow him wholeheartedly in every aspect of our life. But you know, many today are facing the unknown. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but God does. And as long as we're in touch and in tune with His Holy Spirit, then everything's going to be okay. It's like the slogan here in Denwood. Some of you even got the Christmas ornament that says, everything's going to be okay. It is, because He's promised that to us. He tells us in His Word, don't worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear and what you're going to sleep. If you remain faithful and you remain in me, all those things will come. Don't worry about it. And when you have those things and you begin to, begin to have an abundance of those things, then give those things away because you don't need all the excess. It's simplicity that he calls us to in this life. But many people don't know what tomorrow holds. There's a lot of uncertainty out there in our world. Dr. King, Dr. Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights Movement helped teach our nation a lot about the unknown. He taught our nation a lot about individual sacredness and acceptance when the country's civil liberties were in dire straits, when the world faced a lot of uncertainty. And the world faces that right now. It's not that different. It really isn't. And when he marched, there's still a lot of division. And it's not just racial division. It's political division. It's whether, you know, you live on this side of the street or this side of the street. It's still the same way. A lot of things have not changed. But you want to know something? All persons are deserving of God's grace. All persons are of sacred worth. All persons, regardless of who they are and where they are, were created in the image of God Almighty. In today's reading from Corinthians, Paul reminds us that the temple of the Holy Spirit is within. We each one reflect the divine creator. Paul says that God is not directly seen. He's reflected in and through us. So if Christians, followers of Christ... Christ wants Christ like that's what Christian means. If we're truly doing that and we're reflecting the divine creator, then there would not be all of this division. Because we would be so powerful acknowledging the kingdom power, and that's his authority coming down from heaven to earth to earth to us, then there would be love everywhere. We would be doing what we're supposed to be doing and reaching the loss, no matter the cost. This image about being sacred and being reflected in God's image evokes a sense of reverence for all people. You know, when you're walking through the mall, maybe you're a people watcher, and you're, you're sitting in Perimeter Mall or North Point Mall, wherever it is, and you're sitting in the food court, and you're just watching people of all shapes and sizes. You want to see people of all shapes and sizes? Go to a water park. If you feel bad about yourself, just go to one of those places real quick. Man, he shouldn't be wearing that. She definitely shouldn't be wearing that. I shouldn't be wearing what I'm wearing. Have mercy, you know? But we're people watchers, aren't we? But when we begin to see through the eyes of Christ and speak His words and have His thoughts, then we see everyone as sacred and important and special. And knowing that everybody has something going on in their life. 
Everybody's struggling with something. Many folks out there do not feel that they are enough, that they're good enough. And so it's our responsibility to let them know that they are good enough, that they are worthy. God makes them that way, and He is more than enough. That's our responsibility. Yet, we speak words to others and talk about others and do things to our bodies that just don't reciprocate what, what's being said here by Paul. We do things to our temples, to our bodies, that desecrate it. You know, we live life on the edge. We take life to the limit. You remember that song? Take it to the limit one more time. Who sings it? Who, who literally sings it? Come on. Yes. I knew Doug would know that. Yes. Take it to the limit one more time. The world baits us to take it to the limit. One bad choice, one bad night can mess up your life forever. You lose what you value most. Your innocence and your sacredness. I know you were reading that scripture and you said, Who is Stephen going to be preaching on human sexuality today? Is he going to get on that soapbox like many churches are doing this day and wasting time doing that? Or is he going to preach the gospel truth? I'm going to preach the gospel truth. How about that? And so here we go. And so 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Flee immorality. Do you know what immorality means? Okay, the Greek word here for flee is fugo. Can you say that? Fugo. fugo. Not yugo. Remember yugo? The little car? You know? You wonder, man, if you get hit in that thing, you're gone. You've seen those little cars around town. Man, I get 80 miles to the gallon, but if you get hit, you're instantly gone. You're vaporized in that car. But you save some money on your gas. That's for sure. I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying, I hope you drive really well. I hope everybody drives really well around you. You know what I'm saying? But flee. Flee all immorality. And especially sexual immorality. Because everything else is done outside the body, but your sexuality is the inside. That's your sacredness, your holiness. That's what God has reserved for you in marriage, to be honest with you. And so the culture baits us to cross the line, to go ahead and enjoy everything right now. You know, it seems like the younger generations, they want it all, they want it now. They want to travel all over the place. They want to have the house they want to have, the car they want to have right now, and not really looking toward the future. Many of us fall guilty of that, and it's easy sometimes, especially when the money starts coming in, and they I can do all this. We're not really saving. We're not really putting back. We're not really looking toward the future and what God has in store for us. That's why I want you to write this letter, what your goals are, where God is leading you. And you will find that God is leading you to be selfless and not selfish. He's leading you to pull back on some of those things that you think you have to do and think that you have to have. He wants your life to be one of simplicity. But simplicity is not easy. For He calls you outside of yourself to go and reflect his divine image to a broken world, a world that's in darkness. And yet the outside world, the culture, continues to bait you. Do this, say this, look at this, indulge in this, take on this new habit, or renew this habit that you thought you gave up years ago. I'm going to give you an example. You know there are speed limits all around us, on small streets, interstates, but yet... We take it to the limit, don't we, when we get out on the interstate. We find a pace car usually. Somebody that's going about 90 and we try to stay with him. Well, if I stay with him, I'm going to be okay because the cop will get him. That does not work. It never has worked for me, to be honest with you. But yet, isn't it interesting that when we're driving down the road, okay, if there is a patrolman in front of us, we immediately slow down. We don't dare pass that patrolman, even if that patrolman, he or she's going under the speed limit. We're not dare passing the patrolman. 
And then if there's one behind us, all of a sudden, our cell phone drops into the floor out of our hand because we still have it in our hand because it's illegal. You know, we say it's in the cup holder up here, but you know you're looking and you're doing this while it's up there, you know. Some of us have got monitors this big in our car and we're watching movies. I saw a guy the other day, I'm driving him an SUV and I look down, he's watching that movie, White Chick. You know that movie? Don't watch it, it's not a good one. I watched five minutes of his movie in his car because he had it on this big old monitor up front. I'm sitting there around watching the movie like, this movie's terrible. And I could hear it, he had this Bose surround system in there. Man, I'm talking about distractions. But if there's a cop behind us, we're slowing down. We, we want him to pass us or her to pass us because we, we don't want to get caught. We don't want to get pulled over. But when they're not around, when we're on the road, nobody does 65 anymore or even 70. My dad does. Okay, For us to get from Florence to here or from here to Florence, we can get there in about five hours with me driving. For my dad, it's seven and a half to eight hours. He drives the speed limit, both hands on the wheel like you're supposed to, right? Not, not me. I'm sorry. I'm not preaching to myself this morning. I need... <laughs> I need speed, baby. Yeah. I need to be more conscious, especially with people in the car. You know? I need to be conscious of what I'm doing and be more focused. And that's in all of life, isn't it? Let's talk about husbands and wives for a second. All right. We want committed marriages, and we desire that. Some of us are praying for that mate to come along and to have that relationship. And yet, most of the time, the people that we love the most, our spouses, we treat them the worst. We take them for granted. We don't do what we're supposed to do when it comes to marriage. Marriage is a calling. We've got a marriage retreat that's coming up in March, and we're going to learn a lot about this sort of stuff. But marriage is about sacrifice. It's about giving it's about serving. It's about putting the needs of the other above your own. And spending time with that person. And doing whatever it takes to make sure your relationship grows and, and, and festers in a positive way. There was a couple, they had been married almost 60 years that went on a marriage retreat that Karen and I led several years ago. And everybody was asking the couple, why are y'all on this retreat? Y'all don't need a marriage retreat. You've been married for 60 years. And they said, exactly. We're on this marriage retreat because everything that we can go to, everything that we can read to better our marriage, we've done it. Hence, 60 years. It makes sense, doesn't it? It's our priorities. But culture would say to you, don't put so much emphasis in your marriage. Don't even worry so much about marriage. It's just a piece of paper. It's a covenant. And it is between man and woman. And I can preach a long time about that. But there is no ambiguity in God's Word about that, ladies and gentlemen. But again, what Martin Luther King said is that all persons are sacred worth and deserving of God's grace. So we love all people because they represent God. Even if they don't claim God, they are created in His image and they're just as valuable in His kingdom as you are, regardless of where you are in your faith journey. It's important for us to remember that. And yet the world is saying, whatever the line is, take it to the limit. You cross certain lines, you're going to morally lose. You're going to be, as Jim Carrey said, a loser. You know Jim Carrey is almost 60? I couldn't believe that. Mr. Ace Ventura is that old. Yeah, he has an interesting political perspective, but I won't go there. <laughs> but you take the limit too far, and she might get pregnant. You could break the law. You could injure someone else. You could get addicted. You could say, I, I'm not addicted. I'm really not. I've got, I've got parameters on this thing, but you know it's not true. 
you're still having a hard time breaking away and you continue to look at your plodding feet and your device rather than looking up and seeing where the greatest need is. The world is baiting you into the trap of the technology fallacy. It wants you to do that. It doesn't want you to have relationships. It doesn't want you to have true love, the love of God. The world is not of God. The world is of Satan. And Satan desires to distract you, for you to lose your focus. Satan desires for you to be in chaos all the time. And God is not a God of chaos. Satan desires that there be division. Satan is not a God of division. Satan desires for you when you're on Facebook or social networking to come back at somebody in a very negative, judgmental, gossiping type way. That's not a God either. You remember Peter in his first sermon after Pentecost? He writes these words, Let me, help me, speak your words. Say your words. Act as though acting on your behalf. May I represent you in every way. So, the old cliche, what would Jesus do? Before every decision, anything that you do, for you say anything to your spouse or your children or your co-workers that could be negative or could speak death over them, consider God and His perspective. And know that you can criticize and that you can correct, but you can still speak life at the same time. Does that make sense to you? makes all the sense in the world. You see, Jesus could rebuke, but in the same next sentence, He could share that unconditional love that only God can give. And it's called grace. And you have grace within you. That's a shorthand way of expressing God's unconditional love for others. And He loves you with that type of love. And He's designed you, He's wired you to love that way too. And if you're filled up to the brim with the Holy Spirit, which I hope you are, and I hope you desire to be that way, then you're going to speak His words. You're going to reflect Him. And people are going to see Christ in you before they see anything else. And when people see the Spirit oozing out of you, coming forth through you, they want some of that. I want what He has. I mean, He's been through tragedy. She's gone through divorce, and yet she still speaks life. She still prays. She goes to church. She's a part of a small group and a Bible study and has made a difference in others' lives because she's on the other side of her despair and her distraughtness. That's God, and only God can do that. When a person is on, in hospice care, and they're dying and breathing their last, but they know Jesus Christ, and they've lived their life for Him, and they have that abundant life, then they can say, thanks be to God. I'm getting ready to inherit my eternal kingdom, but that eternity has been with me since I professed Jesus as my Savior. I've always had the promise of eternity within me because He's confirmed that time and time again, that whatever I faced, He was there holding my hand and carrying me at times. That's faith. That's not the world. You and I, we're not of this world. We have a power within us that's greater than any power known to humankind. And we serve the most popular individual that's ever existed, and that's Jesus Christ. He is our Lord and Savior. But it's January 19th. Three weeks has passed, as Reagan said, since Christmas. And so you've returned most of those Christmas gifts that you didn't want or you had duplicates of. This is the time of year that people are, are trying new things. They're driven by resolutions to get their life back on track. Folks make early morning trips to the gym. They take those midday walks. They watch their diets. Then, of course, there's the resolution to watch less Netflix or TV. And do more reading. Do more reflecting. Be still in the presence of God as we've been learning at Misty Creek Community Church. You know, our culture provides so many ways to improve our lives. It's a wonder that we're not all blissfully happy and content 
You know, walking around in utopia. If you visit the self-help sections in the library, you'll see there's so many books on how to deal with any problem and guides that deal with whatever problem, whatever life issue you face. And yet, statistics prove this, that there's more suicides in our world today than ever before. There's more depression, there's more anxiety, and there's more isolation than there's ever been. You want to know why? You're going to hear it right here at Mystic Creek Community Church. And I'm going to pull it right back out again. It's these devices. I'm researching it. I'm doing a lot of work on it. So what's causing all of this, this sadness and this despair? Because we're not relational anymore. A cyber relationship is not like this. This is real. Looking at you. Seeing Christ reflected through you back at me. That's real. That's touchable. That's tangible. And yet we're replacing that. That's of the world. That's what culture wants you to do. They're baiting you. They're baiting you. Hmm. There is something about a new year, though, that awakens our desire to turn over a new leaf and start anew, to start a fresh life. Physical, emotional, spiritual, all those things. We want to improve those aspects of our life. But I'm going to tell you something. The secret... To all renewal. Are you ready? Aren't you glad you came to church today? The secret to all renewal is the spiritual life. That's the secret. If we neglect that, our spiritual life, then no diet, no amount of push-ups. I ain't done mine this morning, so I need to get them in. Okay, no amount of push-ups. Or some of you do these, don't you? You don't go down all the way. Do you know you're only going to develop this area right in here? Man, you're not going to be able to flex your pecs like you've always wanted to. You're not going to look like the rock. It's just going to be right in here. It's going to look like you have a little bulge under your armpit. You don't want that. So do the full one. Or at least do an incline or a decline. Put your feet up on the chair and go down on it. Woo, man, that'll give you a burn that you always wanted. You know what I'm saying? But no amount of push-ups, no amount of miles walked or run will be enough to give you the sense of well-being that you need. It's the spiritual life. And when we say spiritual life, I'm not talking about the Oprah Winfrey or Tom Cruise religion. Okay, I'm talking about the Christian faith. That proves to us and tells us that the only way to eternity is through Christ Jesus. That's what we believe as Christians. That's what we preach. That's what we believe to be true. The empirical evidence of the gospel is Jesus Christ. And He is the way, the truth, and the life. And through Him... We are able to enter into that intimate relationship with God the Father, our Abba, our Daddy God, and inherit the kingdom for us. And if we know Him now and receive Him now and are living for Him, and we've been set free from all these addictions and ways of the world, then we have the kingdom right now. We have the promise of eternity in us right now. I want you to think about that for just a moment. You know, we have all these wonderful fellowship opportunities to be together. And helps us focus on one another. The Valentine's dance and all is an example of that in dinner. I don't know if they'll be dancing, but they'll be food and all. We'll probably dance at some point. Maybe some karaoke. But it's a chance for us to be together in fellowship. And we, we've observed over these last several months that we love to be together in fellowship. That's why we go away to Hawks games and have carols and cocoa. And we do all these things together. Fellowship nights and dinner nights and all that stuff. Because we like being together. There's something special about that. That's why I enjoy Run for God and Family Fun Day and Campfire Worship and all that stuff. And we have several fellowship opportunities in 2020. Part of 2020 should, be, should include building one another up 
and gathering for holy conversation. That's a men's study or a women's study or a small group which we're launching in the next few weeks. This is part of spiritual renewal. Speaking of renewal, I want you to stand up. Go ahead, everybody, because I know you can sit for a little while. Okay? I want you to stretch up high as you can. Ah, get a good stretch. If you just had shoulder surgery, don't do that. Okay? <laughs> then come down. And while, without hurting anybody, don't go down to your feet like you normally. Take your hands and go down on your thighs and go down as far as you can go. Hold it for a second. Literally. And come back up. Wow, you're doing it. You ought to do anything right now. Let's do, let's do the stinky thing. Never mind. All right. Okay. And now we're going to shrug our shoulders. Can you do your shoulders? There you go. Don't you feel good? Yes. Yeah. All right. Then you're going to go to your neighbor and you just go give him a pat on the back. Just pat him on the back. That's nice. All right. You can be seated. All right. So you don't ever do anything like that. Church before. Oh, I just sat there like this the whole time for like an hour. How are you doing? Anyway, it's not what we do here, okay? In the first chapter of John's gospel, 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 John's gospel, we are introduced to one of the tensions that will run throughout. Will Jesus be primarily identified as the son of Joseph or as the son of God? As Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He knew Jesus was a simple carpenter's son. Well, can anything good come out of this place? I mean, really, let's look up here just for a moment. Can anything good come out of Mystic Creek? Creek kids, alpha for our youth, young adults, Sunday school, grief support, small groups, retreats, outings, spiritual growth opportunities, community groups, kingdom disciple, women rooted in Christ, bluegrass and barbecue, a night of Christmas worship, a huge percentage of servants serving behind the scenes and volunteering and doing all these wonderful things. And we're just getting started. And we just moved into this facility in July. You see what God has already done? Because we're surrendering. We're letting Him bait us instead of the world bait us. And there's a difference, right? We have relevant sermons, relevant small groups. Our worship attendance has increased. We have 71 members since September. Missionary support already. We're supporting some missionaries. We gave a $3,500 offering um, to, to the CAC during a night of Christmas worship. We adopted three families for Christmas. Oh, some of this is up there. That's cool. Assisted a new single mom with a premature infant with an apartment. We assisted with the distribution of more than 10,000 Operation Christmas child shoeboxes. We assisted a family of five with their lease and their furniture, and they moved in. And this congregation supplied every bit of their furniture for their apartment. All of it. Isn't that something? Assembled 50 blessing bags for the less fortunate. And many of you... I've given out those bags and you need more. We helped a family of four move out of a hotel into an apartment. We collected more than 50 stuffed animals for at-risk children. We're in the process of partnering with the Community Assistance Center, Giving Grace that I just found out about, Reemerge, the Atlanta Food Bank, Hightower Elementary, and then another ministry called Rattle, and that's in Atlanta as well. We're going to be working with them and Jimmy Ellison very soon. And here we are. We're in holy ground. We're in a sacred place, aren't we? A sacred space is important for our well-being. You know, last week we, we learned about an Ebenezer. We learned about those, those rocks and those stones, my, my stone of hell. And we, we learned how people would, would pile rocks on one another to designate a sacred place, to recognize that God has freed them and brought them through their slavery, helped them defeat their enemies. You know, the cathedrals of antiquity are a testament to the value that people gave 
worship. These cathedrals all over the Europe, Europe are huge cathedrals because at one time there was value for them in worship. The house we sit in for this worship service was created because people who lived before us knew that they needed a place to come and put their life back together again. The same reason many of you are here today, to put your life back together again. You and I gather here for some of the most significant moments of life. Soon we'll probably have weddings. We've had a funeral already. We had our first baptism last week. Marjan. Right here. Our first baptism. You remembered your baptism. You took that Ebenezer with you. You have your little stone. One of our youth Sunday night. He said, I raised my Ebenezer. And he still had his stone with him. I was like, that's cool, man. He liked that. It's tangible. It's real. Wow. Holy moments. We need to be in a place like this together. A sacred place. I remember when I was the theologian in residence, the chaplain at, at Camp Glisten several years ago. Both my kids were at camp. And as I was getting ready to leave them for the closing worship and have communion, it dawned on me that in that chapel that's been renovated, in that chapel, that thousands upon thousands of young people and adults had come to Christ for the first time in that chapel. And that became holy and sacred for me. And I became very humble. I became very emotional during that time to see my own children come down and pray at that altar with hundreds of others that night. Wow. It's powerful. It's sacred. The psalmist was confused and confronted by life until he came into the sanctuary of God. We are too. You can go to any gym. You can read all the books and make all the pilgrimages you want to Walmart. But nothing will substitute, will be a substitute for the sanctuary of God. So in this new year, resolve to make worship a discipline of your life. Come to the sanctuary regularly and often. It's a place of renewal. It's a place that you find your way through the maze of life's questions and confusions. In the sanctuary of God burns the sacred fire of hope that is a light to all the world. In the light of that fire is hope and, and help and truth. There was a little boy with an ice cream cone. He got on the elevator with his older sister. The ice cream began to melt faster than he could eat it. And it's making a sticky mess down the side of his cone and down the side of his arm. The elevator stops and an elegantly dressed lady in a full length fur coat gets on the elevator. She turns and faces the door with the children standing behind her. The little guy is now struggling to keep up with the melting ice cream. He looks at the back of the woman's beautiful coat and gently begins to wipe the ice cream off his hands onto her coat. Be careful, Billy, says his sister. You will get fur in your ice cream. <laughs> that little story illustrates the power of perspective. Sometimes... How we see something depends upon where we stand. In this new year, I invite us to live from the perspective of God's rich grace shown to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do we see life as a prize that has to be won or as a gift to be received? Are our days spent trying to acquire more stuff or becoming aware that all we need has already been given to us by the gracious hand of a loving God? The presents are gone, have been returned or put away. 
A new perspective may be to give more away to someone who really needs what we already have an abundance of. Into a world caught up in keeping the rules, Jesus invited people to embrace the lessons of grace. He says, Consider the lilies of the field. They neither toll nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. Do not worry about your life, he counsels. In other words, God loves you and is looking out for your well-being. What a difference it makes to live life from this perspective. We know that all we need already has been provided. We become aware that life is a gift to be received rather than a prize to be won. We are free to live by cooperation rather than competition. In this new year, this is the perspective I invite you to embrace. What if we live as though everything we need has already been provided for us? We sing about this grace in the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. That reminds us, all I have needed, His hand hath provided. What a difference it would make to live the message of that hymn. For this is the truth of the gospel. There is enough air, water, and food for all of God's children. For the entire world, ladies and gentlemen, we have an abundance of it. There's enough freedom to go around the entire world. Glory to God, right now, you are rich beyond measure. For you are held every moment in the hands of a love that will never let you go. Has there ever been any better news than that? There is enough. There is enough and we don't need to hoard or be fearful any longer. We can share. We can give. There is enough. This is the perspective of grace. There is enough. We're invited to let that perspective birth us into a new way of living in this new year. Be born again and again and again until grace fills every moment, every breath of your life so that you might show the world a new way of living, that you will not conform to the pattern of the world, that you are a sold out, bought with a price, follower of Jesus Christ, the risen Messiah, the King of Kings, the anointed one, El Shaddai, Elohim, the Alpha and the Omega. I serve a resurrected king. I don't serve a dead prophet or a concept. I serve a living, breathing God, a Savior. Are you ready for something new? Are you? Are you tired of that old, mediocre, average life of woe is me? What's next? Are you ready to get out of that routine? Then have a fast with Him. Take some time to be in His presence. When there seems to be no way, the Lord makes a way. When there seems to be no hope, Jesus births new hope. When there seems to be no joy, the Lord Jesus Christ brings forth a new joy. When there seems to be no strength and you're tired and you're weak and you're, you're worn and you're tired of feeling that way, then you know this. The joy of the Lord is my strength. In Him I find my rest. In Him I find redemption and restoration and, and wholeness. He has called me by name. I am His.
And there's nothing too big that we can't accomplish together. For he overcame the world, and so can I. I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. Jesus Christ lives in me. Are you ready to claim that today? Do you want to live life to the fullest? Do you want to follow him and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? If you do, close your eyes just for a moment. If you desire to be swept away by his love, to know that he is enough, that he is faithful, and he is true, and he will always do what he says he's going to do. If you're ready to claim that victory, if you're ready to live this new year indeed with his vision, as Hebrews 12 tells us, keep your eyes fixed and focused on Jesus Christ, the author, perfecter, sustainer, perfecter, pioneer of our faith. If you desire to have that 2020 vision through the eyes of Jesus and surrender to him, just lift your hand up today. You're not lifting your hand up for me. And if you really want to surrender to him, lift both your hands and stand. Stand with your hands surrendered. Outwardly and visibly saying, I am yours and you are mine. And I surrender to you today. Hallelujah. If you've never received Him, lay your hands down now. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you're uncertain about that, then I invite you to just say these words. Dear Jesus, I'm broken. I'm hurting. I'm lost. I love you. And I want a relationship with you. I want to serve you all the days of my life. I'm tired of not feeling good enough. I'm tired of doubting myself. You are a way maker. You made a way. And I want to go down that road with you. That road that leads to eternity. So I surrender my life, my entire world to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Will you forgive me, Lord, and save me? Hallelujah. If you prayed that prayer today, you're a born-again Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. Tell someone. Get involved in this church or a church that professes Christ as Lord. Get involved in a Bible study, a prayer group, a small group, so that you can be discipled and grow in your faith. He wants to take you places you never thought were possible. And so as we remain standing, Doug and our worship team, they're going to lead us in worship, and that is fully surrendering to God, telling Him, we love you, we appreciate you and what you're doing. That's us giving back by offering our praises to Hallelujah. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's children say.